Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Blog Talk Radio. Are you tired of being sheep? Well, so is he. Get a friend. Get informed. And get involved. It's We Are Not Cattle Radio. Good evening and welcome to We Are Not Cattle Radio. I'm your host, Jake Counts, coming to you live from Atlanta, Georgia. It is the People's Liberty Show, podcast number 28, for those of you listening on the recorded version. And it is, good gosh, it is already September 5th, 2013. If you are listening live, thank you so much for tuning in. Once again, it is the People's Liberty Show. And we are going to spend the balance of the broadcast probably chatting about Syria. Now, I do have open phones tonight, so if anybody wants to call in, I don't have any scheduled guests until about 9.30. So if you want to call in, give us your take on what is going on with Syria, the new distraction or possible diversion that the war on Syria could bring as far as what came out today with the NSA and the UK spying about how they've basically cracked all the encryption codes and put back doors in, which we've all known for a long time, but now it's mainstream news, so now it's official, I guess. Official, officially, reality can now be discussed and not be a tinfoil conspiracy theorist, whatever you want to call us. I don't know. I think the conspiracy theorists are the people that are watching football right now and not paying attention to what's going on on the planet. I think you're the conspiracy theorist. That's what I think. I think that you have no idea what war with Syria means. And nor do you care because football's on. I mean, Peyton Manning's playing tonight and the Ravens are playing and oh, it's so great. And I used to get into football. I used to really like it. Not to say that I don't watch it every now and then and I can't get into the spectacle and the presentation of it. It's just that the people that that have made this a lifestyle, in case you haven't noticed, your country has gone completely to shit in the past, well, let's be conservative, 15 years. Completely to shit. Lies, wars, lies, wars, lies, wars, repeat. So now we're in the other, we're in another Predictive pattern of lies, wars, lies, wars. Where does it all end? Well, judging by the rhetoric and the chatter, it looks like it might all end in Syria. And I'm not saying that to fearmonger people. I'm not saying that to, to propagate fear among my audience. My audience is educated. You guys know what's going on. I mean, you're tuning into this show because... You have broken through the matrix. You realize that statism and nationalism can be a detriment if they aren't controlled and if you don't understand 
house statism, nationalism, whatever you want to call it, can be used as a weapon turning your emotions against other people around the planet in the honor or imaginary honor of waving a a flag with different colors on it than other human beings literally hundreds of miles away from you waving another flag with other colors on it. You hate them because their flag's different colors. So once you've broken through the tribal barrier, once you've broken through the barrier to understand that that menarchy as far as having a free market society with a minimal government would probably be the best way to go. And we can debate that back and forth. Everybody is going to – I mean obviously the anarchists are going to have their say about how free markets can regulate and control everything. But then I run into the quandary of the FAA and what you would do there. And I, that's the one place that I don't think the private sector could do it better. Now, would the pay be probably better? No, it would probably be a little bit worse. But we got to start somewhere. So as we say on the show all the time, let's start with the Constitution and work off of that. At least we can restore rule of law, common sense, and common decency to this country. We can right the ship. But as of right now, we are swimming in a sea of ignorance. But there is really, really good news on the horizon. And the really good news is, yours truly, I am a feet-on-the-street kind of person, and my job is to do um, legislative research. So my job is to go out and get the pulse of the people. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to level with you guys. People are awake to Syria. Now, I don't know if it's just because CNN and Fox have now turned into the, the absolute atrocity that could be Syria and and then they play the the political football game of of should we invade should we not invade what should we do but then you have conservative talk show hosts people speaking out in of a prominent name actually speaking out against this war and not only do you have the people of the the so-called conservative right it's again controlled opposition for the authoritarian left. Um, you have you have the people doing what we should be doing and what we should have been doing a long time ago. Now I don't want to cry over spilt milk because there's nothing we can do about it now, but at least America has a pulse again, and at least we're starting to realize the power of constituent pressure. I've always understood the power of constituent pressure because I've I've gone to rallies, I've been to events, I've been to town halls, I've I've done all those things, I've been involved. But see, the first step in being involved is actually sending an email, picking up the phone, doing something other than posting on Facebook. Because posting on Facebook might make you feel better, it might be therapeutic to some extent, but really what does it do? It doesn't really do anything in the grand scheme of things. It's an outlet for you to vent your frustration. That's fine. If you're upset about something, if you if you have the need to express this one notion that you have to thousands of people that will probably forget what you said moments later, then by all means, go ahead. But now is the time to be involved. There is no other time. There is no tomorrow. There is no, well, we'll do it next week when I got time. Listen, 
I work from 7 in the morning till probably about 6 at night doing what I do, and then I probably have about another half hour of paperwork when I get home. So that leaves me about, what, um, an hour for my wife, and then I'm doing a podcast to try to inform people. So time management, people. You know, you make you make time for the things that are important. You make excuses for the things that aren't. And I'm not meaning to preach here, but you know what? It's time to get off your ass and do something. If you wake up tomorrow morning, or even tonight, I don't care if you've if you've had too much to drink. I don't care what your situation is right now. But if you pick up the phone and you call your elected representatives, it's not really hard. Just use the NSA spy engine, Google, and you can go find your elected representatives. It'll probably take about 30 seconds. Call these jokers and tell them what you feel about engaging in a civil conflict. How many times can America go into a civil conflict? Number one, the conflict that we pretty much initiated. Well, we didn't really initiate it. We just helped them. I mean, we gave them food, money, weapons. Two and a half years. Funding the rebels, funding the destabilization effort. It's all a big program. Wesley Clark talks about it. It's all a big plan. Brzezinski writes about it in his books. So, so what gives America? Well, what does give is the good news. And this comes out of Infowars.com, and I think this is just a compilation. And this is where we're going to start. We're going to start with the good news. We're going to start with the people pushing back. And then we're going to shift into the possibility of what we could be facing. facing excuse me, And the ramifications of what we could be facing with military intervention. Now, from all that I've seen and all the people that I've talked to, and remember, I talk to people on a day-to-day basis about political stuff, and everybody over the last three days has been talking about nothing but Syria and how they're against it. And we don't need to go in. Military veterans, Air Force veterans, you know, regular Joe Schmoes, business owners, people on the street, everybody's talking about it. Why? Because it's a big issue. Because this could be the event, the kickoff, the powder keg, whatever you want to call it. Once again, if you look back at history, world wars typically don't start over one huge military bombardment. It's always a strife over something small. But all the positions and all the alignments and all the different preparations have been made leading up to that event. And then you just need the spark to to light the kindling, so to speak. Is this really how America falls, is my question to you. Does it fall because of lack of involvement? Does it fall because of lack of information? Or do we fall just because we're apathetic pieces of crap? And we're spoiled brats. And we believe that America is the way it is and will always be the way it is. Because we're America. I mean, that's the mentality, but... Slowly but surely, you're starting to see the American public start to understand, wait a minute, I don't know if I like Obamacare that much. I don't know if I like this stuff. I don't know if I want to go to war with Syria. So the conscious, so evidently we're starting to hit the zeitgeist with the awakening of the American people and how we can really turn this thing around. So so what do we do, Jake? Well... 
Call your congressman. Let them know. I mean, let's start there. Let's start with working with what we got. And here is here's the good news. Building up to the good news because, hey, this is kind of cool. Once again, out of Infowars.com, giving full credit where credit is due, 99% of calls to Congress are against the war in Syria. And what they've done is they've grabbed a bunch of the elected representatives' Twitter feeds and have reposted them in order. And I'll just go over a couple of the quotes because this is a big deal. And it says, the article reads, and it's very short, and says, Millions of Americans are completely overloading the phone lines of Washington in a historical, unprecedented response to shut down the Obama war machine. I really don't like the verbiage there. It's not the Obama war machine. It's it's a military-industrial complex, but whatever. I'm arguing semantics. This comes in the wake of the recent Reuters poll that found only 9% of respondents back Obama in his quest for military action in Syria. Here is a sample of the rundown of statements of both House and Senate members showcasing their almost unanimous opposition from constituents for the war in Syria. Tom, Tom Massey writes, In just two days, I've received 126 calls opposing military engagement in Syria and only one in favor. Whoever you are in favor, um, there is this thing called the Internet. I highly recommend that you get some at your house. And he goes on to say 99% of constituents have contacted me to oppose U.S. war in Syria. Michelle Bachman, lover or hater, and this is what we got. My office has been inundated with constituent phone calls and emails about Syria, virtually unanimous opposition to military intervention. The phones are, and then this is um, Paul Gosser, um, and it says, The phones in my office are ringing off the hook and mail is flowing in. Almost all the people are imposing war with Syria. So what does this mean? Well, it means now that the Obama administration, the establishment, is basically out on a ledge by themselves. Do I think that they're going to pull the trigger? God, I hope not. I really don't. And if this stuff hasn't been freaking you out the last couple of days, read more books. Because people that I know that have have done deep research, not just in geopolitical stratagems, but the background of the people that run this country, and if you want to go trailing off into the rabbit trail that is the Illuminati and the mystery schools and mystery Babylon and the ancient Egyptian ceremonies and rituals that they performed that still get performed today right in front of your face, but you have no idea what it is because you've never bothered to go research it. These people are really freaking out, losing sleep, trying to get themselves mentally prepared for what could be coming. Once again, not a doomsday conspiracy theorist, just trying to give you a semblance of how mag... I, let's see, what is the the magnitude of the situation we're facing? I don't think anything in my lifetime rivals this. I would think that this is probably what everybody felt like during the Cuban Missile Crisis. And war is going to come to our doorstep eventually, ladies and gentlemen. And that is just an inevitable fact. It always comes to the door of an empire. Always, 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 always. Typically, after the empire exhausts itself out of money, which, as we all know, the United States is completely broke, completely desperate. So what are we doing? Well, 
Looks like we got to cut a big check to the bankers and we don't got the cash. Or we got to cut a big check to China and we don't got the cash. That's why it's absolutely bizarre to see what's going on with Putin now saying and releasing a document. And I'll read the the article here in a bit. Talking about that they have 100 pages confirming the fact that that not the Assad regime, but the rebels have actually launched this chemical attack, which, oh my God, the American government staged a false flag. What will we ever do? It's never happened before. This is unprecedented. I mean, we are more apt to stage a false flag attack than we are not to. That's how crazy America is. Not us in general, not the people living here, not the not the inhabitants of the continent, or excuse me, the inhabitants of the country, the people running the show, the psych warfare chiefs, the global comptrollers, those people, the Brzezinski's of the world, the people that war game this stuff out and don't see you as any any semblance of resistance, they're thinking on something of a of a grandiose scale, and they don't really have empathy for anything. They're playing literally a big game of risk with moving, breathing parts. And it's terrifying. But once again, the American public is now starting to wake up and and they're starting to get angry. And you can see it on people's faces. And, you know, it's... It's one of those things where I see it and I go, wow, this is kind of crazy. This is kind of creepy. I thought I was one of the only people on the planet that was starting to feel this way, that was starting to feel uneasy. That way. And, and that's the first thing that people would talk to us about when we walk in the door is that, man, I'm really worried about Syria. We don't need to go in there. And these are people that you know don't have a lot of geopolitical savvy, but what they do know is that Russia's over there. And you don't want to mess with them, and China's over there, and they own our debt, and you don't want to mess with those guys either. So it's like, what are we doing? I mean, we're 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 poking the bear right now, and that's not a very good idea, seeing though we're in a a weak financial position and we don't have the moral high ground. We just don't for this kind of for this kind of military action. Moral high ground is very, very important when it comes to winning wars because if you're not fighting for a just cause, what are you fighting for? Banking interests? You're going to fight for the bankers? You're going to fight for the no-bid contracts, for the Halliburtons, for the Donald Rumsfelds, for the Dick Cheneys? You're going to fight for those goons? No, and that's why you see American people all over the country, American soldiers protesting saying that I didn't sign up for you know to go to battle and to and to fight on the side of al-qaeda and I don't blame you now I don't know how this is all going to shake out but what I do know is that the more prominent I get and it's not to say that I have this big following or anything like that I'm a small following I don't I don't know I don't know what who cares anyway so it's about the information. It's not about me. It's about you, the people. It's about us finding solutions. It's about us chatting with one another, human interaction, the things that we miss, the things that we need to have in order to have a fully functional, fully mentally developed society. 
You're not going to have full mental development by sitting in front of television and getting brainwashed for six to eight hours a day. It's just not going to happen. You're going to get deprogrammed on what war is. You're going to get deprogrammed on what reality is. And then they reprogram your brain to basically be a little consumer droid. Walking around believing that the American... Let me see. What's the best way to put this one as well? That the American religion is corporations. That that Nike is a religion, that that Adidas is a religion. No, no, no. Those are just brands, people. Once again, I, I, I was a marketing major in college. I understand how they get you to buy their stuff. I understand how they use peer pressure on the young adults and the parents in order to get you to buy their stuff that's overpriced, that's made over in you know in, in Indonesia with you know enslaved labor factories. Look, I, I've done the research on that. So we need to break away from this consumerism, from this corporate culture that we have. That's the term I was looking for. It's corporate culture. It's not American culture. America is not baseball, apple pie, and Coca-Cola. The American culture is freedom, liberty, prosperity. That's the American culture. That's what this country was founded on. This country was not founded on a bunch of jokers that just wanted freedom of religion and they just wanted to get it. No, they broke away from an incredibly tyrannical empire. And now we are in the death throes of another empire that is slowly flailing and dying out. And every time an empire starts flailing and dying out, they launch wars because they think that it can rally the troops, so to speak. Ain't going to happen this time, guys. Lost the moral high ground. So now what do we do? Well, we do everything that we can. And you should do everything that you can in order to stop these people and to stop this intervention. Do something. I don't care what the hell you do. And don't do it for me. Do it for your kids. Do it for your grandkids. Do it for your mom, your dad, the people that don't know, that aren't aware, that don't know how great liberty is, that don't know how incredible we have it here in America. There's a way to push back the police state. There's a way to do all these things. But in order for that, you have to have involvement. And that's the big key is that you have to be engaged in the process. Whether it's the whether it's the process of writing your congressperson and holding them accountable to what they write you back. Whether it's you going and holding up a sign to wake people up to get people to pay attention. It doesn't matter. Get involved in any way that you can. It's amazing how it's amazing how lazy Americans can be. But it's amazing how passionate they can be about freedom. Now, see, that's the thing. You can be really passionate about freedom, but if you're lazy, it doesn't matter. You're going to turn into a slave either way. you got to be passionate about freedom. You have to be active, and you have to actively resist. Because I don't know what's coming. I'm getting – listen, with my minimal audience, I have people contact me with information that – I mean it's a, it's a friend of a friend or it's you know something like that. But it's stuff that scares the living crap out of me. You know, I don't even want to talk about it on air because it's once again I haven't verified it, I haven't confirmed it. It, it 
But when the person telling me this stuff, I trust greatly, known them for a very long time, and know that they're they're friends with good people. They're in with good people. And they tell me some crazy stuff, and I can't even talk about it because I don't want to be the person that leaked the information that doesn't have confirmation because then that ruins my credibility. Listen, if I mess up on the podcast, I'm going to let you know. But 99 times out of 100, what I'm telling you is at the it is probably the most conservative estimate or the most conservative I guess statement that I can make. Because I want this to be a center for somebody to be able to trust what we're talking about. And trust the conversations that we have. And the conversations are real. And these are real debates. These are real challenges that we're facing. So you need to find out for yourself. Do you want to be involved in the process? Do you want to sit by and watch all the politicians, the the, the steering committees, the, the just utter BS of the global comptrollers and the, and the supranational corporations... And basically, people over the top of international governments making rules and regulations that are going to ruin your life. And they're going to ruin other people's lives. So the only way that you can fight it, because these people have figured out the people that are the, I guess, the global elite or whatever you want to call them. I used to call them the elite. Who knows what to call these guys now? But the, the crazy assholes. I don't know. What do we call these people? The people that are doing these things are doing them on purpose, and they're doing it because nobody is pushing back. Well, now that things are starting to push back, this is going to get really hairy really fast because I think that the awakening is happening. And once again, finger on the pulse of the people. I use my father as a good barometer. Now, my father is a a neoconservative, and I don't want to talk about family too much on the podcast because that's, that's really personal. But he and I are now engaging in conversations that we have never engaged in before because he has understood that when I tell him these things and an event happens six months later or I tell him something and it happens and it comes on Fox News a year later, then it's like, oh my God, where have I heard this before? Hey, how did you know that? You got to get plugged in, people. Unplug from the matrix. Plug into reality. Reality will take. I mean, two. Let's see. Four years ago at this time, I would have had a six pack of beer, a nice bag of chips, maybe some good dip, and I'd be sitting in front of my television right now watching some football, and I'd be loving it, loving every minute of it because I didn't understand what was going on in the world around me. And that's a fair statement. You can really cop out with that, but I'm going to give you a pass. There's a lot of distractions out in the world. But now is the time to buckle down. Now is the time to say no. Now is the time to push back, and we all got to push back together. Because if we all push back together, this thing is done. And then we got to keep pushing. Now, after we get this out, now we got to remove Obama because I know he's a puppet. But you got to do the vestigial thing and push the puppet out of the way and say, no, no more. Not doing this anymore. You know, I, I after a deep conversation with my friend Josh that's been on the podcast before the other night, 
I'm really starting to see what Patrick Henry, why he got upset about not going to the Continental Congress about creating the elect, the executive branch. Because no matter how good the intentions are and how many reins and and chains and legalese that we try to bind these ruling positions down with, these people will finagle their way into power, into into the good graces of a of a public. Happened before many times in history. You have somebody that's a very slick talking person. I mean, Julius Caesar is a prime example. I mean, he wasn't he wasn't the first dictator of Rome, but he was a very slick talking, charismatic person. I mean, he was part of the in crowd. And that's kind of what we have with the reincarnation of Obama. He's part of the in crowd. He's accepted by the the people that are in the cliques, that are in the that are in the entertainment world. He is he's one of them because because well, I mean, he's just different. He's a, he's an incredible speaker. Don't get me wrong. And I don't mean to bash Obama because when you hear me say Obama, just substitute establishment. Because that's what he is. He is the front piece for the establishment, for the no-bid contracts, for the for the globalization of the world, for the corporatists, for everybody. That's the front piece. He is the trademark. He might as well just walk out with a big Pepsi banner on his chest. Excuse me. That's what he is. So let's talk about what's going on with the actual rhetoric being displayed here and absolute bonkersness that's going on with the alleged attack. This is out of McClatchy News. And I should I will um I will get on my um my website this weekend everybody and update from the show links from the past podcast. Because um, to be frank with you guys, I've been I've been a little burnt out. I've been a little tired. But um, <laughs> liberty takes no rest, man. We got to fight every minute of every day, and we got to push back at the system. So here's what McClatchy says: Russia gives the UN a hundred-page report in July blaming the Syrian rebels for the Alpeo Sarin attack. So here's what it says: Russia says a deadly March Sarin attack. In Eshapo, a suburb carried out by the or Eshapo suburb was carried out by Syrian rebels, not forces loyal to Bashir al-Assad. And it was delivered in a hundred-page it was delivered in a hundred-page report outlining its evidence to the United Nations. A statement posted on the Russian Foreign Ministry website late on Wednesday said that the report included detailed specific analysis, samples that Russian technicians collected at the site of the alleged attack. Uh, Kalan Alassin um, in northern Syria, the attack killed 26 people. The UN spokesman, Farah Khan, um, confirmed that the Russian delivery of the report back in July. The report itself was not released, but the statement drew a pointed comparison between what was scientific detail of the report and the far shorter intelligence summaries of that of the United States, Britain, and France have released to justify their assertion that the Syrian government launched the chemical weapons attack in Damascus suburbs on August 21st. 
The longest of those summaries by the French ran nine pages. So this is this is really ridiculous. I mean, this is like I'm going to come up to you and give you a note card, and on my note card it's going to say they did it. And then the Russian government comes in comparatively with an entire cliff notes, make it simple. An entire cliff note saying, this is what really happened. So which would you believe? Once again, I would really hate to believe that my country would lie. And once again, there I go, my country, status comment. Sorry about that, everyone. The people that run the government that I live under would stage something in order to provoke a provocation in the Middle East. Now, the crazy, effed-up thing about all of this is that this is just an instant damn replay. But guess what? Playbook's out on the Internet now, guys. We know all the plays. We know that on fourth and goal from the one-inch line, to use a sports analogy since it is the opening day of NFL, that you're going to run a quarterback sneak. We know that. So now this is all coming out and the system's panicking. So what is the system saying now that we have to do? Oh, cool. I got um, got one of my guests calling in here. What are they saying that we got to do now? And I'm going to pull I think this is Robert from the Journalistic Revolution. Robert, are you there, sir? Yes, sir, I am. Can you hear me? Yeah, man. You ready to commit some thought crime? Yeah, just real quick, I want to let you know, if I lose connection with you, it's because I'm having a problem with a corporate entity. I don't want to say any names, but they sound like Blight's Mouse. So. Okay. Blight's Mouse. Oh, okay. Okay. Mm-hmm. Well, we had, some, we, had some, we had some fun and exciting stuff happen with Blog Talk last week, so, I mean, I'm right there with you, man. So, uh, no, but I'm talking about uh, a report that happened at Ground Zero in Syria. What was up with that? Um, okay, so the report basically was filed today, and this broke about, um, I want to say it broke about 4 o'clock this afternoon, or that's when I caught wind of it. And keep in mind, um, with my new job, I, I actually am uh, never in my car, so I can't really listen to radio, can't listen to, I can't really check my news outlets, so it's kind of crippled me. So forgive me, guys, if on the podcast it sounds like I'm learning at the same time that you're learning, but hey, that's how life goes sometimes. But this is a report, and it's um, this was under McClatchy. I'll send you the link um, via Skype. And it's um, a report says Russia gave the UN a 100-page report in July, blaming the Syrian um, rebels for the sarin gas attack. And then the biggest it says here, and I'll read you the exact quote from the article. It said the report itself was not released, but the statement drew a pointed comparison between what it said was. Scientific, uh, a, the scientific detail of the report and the far shorter intelligence summaries uh, that the United States, Britain, and France have released to justify their assertion into the Syrian, that, or excuse me, to justify their assertion that the Syrian government launched chemical weapons against Damascus suburbs on July 21st. The longest of the summaries was by the French, ran nine pages. So I equated that to somebody coming up to you. Well, let's use it. How about this? This is even better. Somebody coming up to you with a napkin, Robert, and writing, Syria did it, 
and giving it to you, and then somebody coming right behind you with basically a cliff notes of everything that went on throughout the entire day, events leading up to it, technical breakdowns, scientific evidence, and then handing you that and saying, we don't think that they did. So that's, yeah, that's where I mean that's where we're at with that. So what are you, what are your thoughts on this? I mean I haven't I haven't even talked to you about your thoughts on Syria, but let's um, let's get your take on it. Uh, by the way, everybody, Robert, I, I'm going to butcher your last name. Wasman, is that it? Yeah, close enough. Wasman. Yeah, well, whatever. You know, potato, potato. And <laughs> it's just your clan name anyway. It doesn't really mean anything. Um, Robert from the Journalistic Revolution joins us here on the show. So thank you, Robert, for joining us and. Um, and Josh has been on my show a couple of times in the last uh, couple of podcasts. And, you know, you guys finding that little diamond in the rough, he did a great job. That kid is rock star status, man. Oh, uh, yeah, man. He makes me feel stupid. Yeah, but, uh, well, he doesn't make me feel stupid. He, he actually challenges my intellect, which makes me feel um, inferior. <laughs> Go ahead. Well, my, my take on the whole Syria thing is, is you know, because we at Journalistic Revolution actually reported on it over a year ago and about how we thought that um, that they were going to use Syria as a pretext to take over Iran or, mm-hmm. or at least get involved in Iran. Now, let me and stop it, you there. Was it was it due to the was it due to a strategic position or were you guys just thinking that um, that that was just the next stepping stone in in the um, the wake to get to Iran? I, I think it's just the next stepping stone. I, uh, honestly, I think that the American Empire wants to take over pretty much all of the Middle East. Um, so, I mean, really any country in the area who isn't Saudi Arabia or Israel is in danger. Um, mm-hmm. And, I, and my, my whole thing is, you know, as much as the chemical attacks, which we're not even sure if they were chemical at this point because I just read this really good piece on if they were chemical attacks, the chemicals would still be all over their skin and on their clothes. So Correct. Anybody, I, read that, I read that same thing. Yeah, so anybody who would uh, who was attacked by these chemicals would not ha- should have been hosed down before they were touched, or the person should have been wearing sort of hazmat gear, and neither of those took place. Um, but my, my, my whole thing is, is, like I talked on the show, our show last night, is this is going to happen. I, I don't think that there's much we can stop it because the Empire does what the Empire wants. But is this the is this the death throes of the Empire? I mean, are we seeing the the real collapse of not only the the establishment media, but are we seeing a collapse of confidence in in the actual system itself, in, in the empirical system? I would love to believe that. I really would. Even those who are against the war aren't really against wars uh, completely. They're just against this one for now because it seems to be politically prostrating themselves in a good way. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, my fear is is that you know is that justice will be a collapse of the American Empire. But I mean that's always been the goal. The American Empire has to collapse so that the new global empire can take its place. It's really sick, isn't it, to have an idea of what the game plan is and then to watch these guys try to try to execute the game plan. And basically it's like faxing over the playbook the night before to the and once again to use a football analogy, welcome to the first day of football. This is how we talk football here on We Are Not Cattle. We use football analogies to describe geopolitical events. 
It's basically like it'll be like having Peyton Manning and the Broncos email over the entire playbook to the to the Baltimore Ravens and say, "Okay, we're not going to tell you what plays we're going to run in what order, but here's our playbook, so you figure it out." I mean, is in essence that's kind of what that's kind of what I see in all of this stuff. I mean, through all the through all the books that I've read and through Brzezinski's books and all these other things, it does line up with what they they the goal that they had in mind. And I don't know if they just see us as cannon fodder or if they just see us as as an ant that needs to be crushed and it's in the way. I, I don't really know. But I don't know if they're are they really that crazy to start something that could start a nuclear war? That's my question to you. Are they really that crazy? They are that crazy. And there he went. All right, there's your internet issues. Welcome to live radio, everybody. I'm sure he'll call me right back. But um, yeah, Robert says they're that crazy. I'm. I, I don't know. I don't know anymore. I mean, it, it gets to a point where you exhaust yourself doing doing research and analysis for yourself and 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 analyzing your own your own reality, your own perspective. Getting viewpoints from other people, challenging your perspective and challenging your reality, and, and challenging your—I I, guess—what um, what's a good term here? I guess challenging your your thought process and your once again your perception. I guess. So now we're in this whole diluted sort sort of reality where people, small pockets of people, understand the big game here, and then you have the general public that doesn't doesn't care and they don't I don't think that they really understand the ramifications of what Syria could bring and that's what I want to get back from Robert once I get him back on the air is that I want him to break down how this thing could play out because if you're thinking about it in a global geopolitical stratagem the United States is one of the largest empires that the world has ever seen. I mean, let's face it. We've got military bases in over 130 countries. And newsflash to everybody that's listening for the first time, we ain't bringing peace most of the time. We're bringing bombs. We're not bringing peace. I mean, I guess war is peace now because Obama won a peace prize, and now he's about to he's about to go invade, and who knows? And um yeah, I think Robert just um he just messaged me and said he's gonna try to get back on. So sorry for the technical delays, everybody. But let me go to this clip really quick. This is of John Kerry today, or actually yesterday, um, talking about how we we don't need boots on the ground, but if Syria collapses then we're gonna need boots on the ground. So here it is. Would you tell us whether you believe that a prohibition for uh, having American boots on the ground, is that something that the administration would accept as part of a resolution? Here comes double uh, speech Mr. for Chairman, all of you that know 1984. Be not, to, not because the, 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 there was any intention or any plan or any desire whatsoever to have boots on the ground. Now, I think the president will give you every assurance in the world, as am I, as, as the Secretary of Defense and, and the Chairman. But in the event Syria imploded, for instance, or in the event there was a uh, 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 threat of a chemical weapons cache falling into the hands of uh, al-Nusra or someone else, 
And it was clearly in the interests of our allies and, and all of us, the, the British, the French, and others, to They're prevent not backing those you weapons of mass destruction falling into the hands of the worst elements. I don't want to take off the table an option that oh. might or might not be available to a president of the United States to secure our country. So that was the How only kind of example. It's the only thing I can think of that, that would immediately leap to mind to say, you know, well, if we if we said that there'd be uh, no troops on the ground for combat purposes, that clearly would uh, I assume. Well, assuming that in the going to protect those weapons, whether or not they had to, you know answer a shot in order to be secure. I, I, I don't want to speak that. Well, the bottom line is this. We're, we're going to Can I to, give you the bottom gonna line? Have, we're going to have to work. To I'm absolutely confident, Mr. Chairman, that it is easy, not that complicated, to work out language that will satisfy the Congress and the American people that there's no door open here uh, through which someone uh, can uh, march in ways that the Congress doesn't want it to while still protecting the national security interests of the country. I'm confident that can be worked out. Well, I, the I, bottom line is the president has no intention and will not, and we do not want to, put American troops on the ground to fight this or be involved in the fighting of this civil war, period. Uh, I appreciate But you just said that if it imploded then you guys would put boots on the ground. I'm very puzzled. So is it you you want to put boots on the ground or you're not going to unless there's a weapons cache or if it implodes? I, I'm This is so doublespeak. This is ridiculous. I mean, how in the hell are these people running our country? What is going on? Like these, these are the leaders, the quote-unquote air quotes leaders of our country. These are the quote leaders of the free world. And then Putin says that we're fabricating evidence. Shocker, American government fabricating evidence to get into a war. But really, these are the guys. An old skull and bones, an old three-two-two guy is up there. And then the term before Obama, you had another skull and bones member. They're pictured in the same damn pictures sitting there on the – I mean just come on, people. I don't want to go Illuminati on you guys, but I mean this is just nasty stuff. This is so nasty. I mean if you study the mystery schools, if you study ancient Babylon, just listen to – Anything that I could recommend, if you can take away the Christianic slant that he has on it, and not to say that there's anything wrong with Christianity, but he uses um, Christianity as the as the weapon against the um, the provocating New World Order, Satanic, um, Luciferian, Illuminati, whatever you want to call them. But listen to Bill Cooper, everybody. Do yourself a favor. The gen- the guy got killed for a reason. Okay. He got taken out by the local sheriffs for a reason. Um, Let's see. um, My friend says that he cannot call back in, and let's see if he can see if he can grab me on Skype. Sure. And this will this will kind of cut my audio down. So if you guys are listening live, which it looks like I got a bunch of you guys listening live tonight, thank you so much for tuning in. Welcome to live radio. Sorry for the giant cluster. You know what? But hey, we're doing the best we can over here. It is a one-man show, and it is one man trying to scream from the rooftops that this is not a good idea, and that we don't need to be hearing this about Syria. USA! 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 
That's right. That is my token USA for the podcast, everybody. I've been kind of slacking on that. So now we got to get this thing back on track. So anyway, let's now, while I'm trying to pull Robert up here, let's now go to the clip of, um, I think I have a clip of of Ron Paul. Uh, this is actually Rand Paul and John Kerry. This is actually a long clip, so it's about 10 minutes, and I don't know if you guys have heard this or not, but we're all going to learn together. Welcome to the to the People's Liberty Show, everyone. Um, this is Rand Paul and John Kerry debating this thing uh, a couple of days ago, and I'm just going to use this as a buffer to try to get my friend Robert pulled back up here, and um, you guys enjoy. And the two just are not similar. Senator Paul. Thank you for coming today. It's not often that I get to compliment the president. I can probably count the number of times maybe on one hand. But when I first heard that the president was going to come to Congress, boy, was I pleasantly surprised. I was proud that he was my president. I didn't vote for him, and I still am opposed to him quite a few times. But I was proud that he did this. And I was just about to stand on my feet and clap and give him a standing ovation. And then I heard, well... But if I lose the vote, I'll probably go ahead and do the bombing anyway. And so it does concern me. I, I want to be proud of the president, but every time I'm just about there, then I get worried that really he doesn't mean it, that he's going to sort of obey the Constitution if he wins. So I heard Secretary Kerry say, if we win, sure. But if we lose, what? I mean, make me proud today, Secretary Kerry. Stand up for us and say, you're going to obey the Constitution, and if we vote you down, which is unlikely, by the way, but if we do, you would go with what the people say through their Congress, and you wouldn't go forward with a war that your Congress votes against. Can you give me a better answer, Secretary Kerry? Uh, I, I can't give you a different answer than the one I gave you. I don't know what the president's decision is, but I will tell you this. It ought to make you proud because he still has the constitutional authority, and he would be in keeping with the Constitution. Well, I disagree with you there. I don't believe he has the constitutional authority. I think Congress had his, has this. Madison was very explicit. When he wrote the Federalist Papers, he wrote that history <laughs> supposes authority, my or the Constitution supposes what history demonstrates, that the executive is the, most, is the branch most likely to go to war, and therefore Amen. the Constitution vested that power in the Congress. It's explicit and runs throughout all of Madison's writings. This power is a Pick congressional a power, and it is not an executive jerk. power. They didn't say big war, small war. They didn't say boots on the ground, not boots on the ground. They said declare war. Ask the people on the ships launching the missiles whether they're involved with war or not. Amen. If we do not say that the Constitution applies, if we do not say explicitly that we will abide by this vote, you're, you're making a joke of us. You're making us into theater. And so we play constitutional theater for the president. If this is real... You will abide by the verdict of Congress. You're probably going to win. Just go ahead and say it's real, and let's have a real debate in this country and not a meaningless debate that in the end you lose and say, oh, well, we had the authority anyway. We're going to go ahead and go to war anyway. A couple of items. Senator, I assure you there's nothing meaningless. And there is everything real. Only if you adhere to what we vote on. Here. Only if our vote makes a difference. Only if our vote is binding is it meaningful. And I will leave to the man who was elected to be president of the United States the responsibility for uh, telling you what his decision is. 
Oh, what his when decision that moment is. came, but the president intends to win this here, vote, this and he's country. not going to make prior announcements. We've, we've had a lot of discussion about, you know, whether or not we're going to make the world safer with this. Somehow we're going to have less chemical weapons. But I think that's an open question, and I think it's conjecture at best. You can say, oh, well, we think Assad will be less likely to launch chemical weapons after this. We may be able to degrade his capacity somewhat. He's got a thousand tons. Are we going to wipe it out? Most reports I hear say we're not even probably going to directly bomb chemical weapons because of what might happen to the surrounding population. So my guess is he still will have the ability. Most people say Assad acted very illogically. Why would he release chemical weapons on his own people when it brought the anger and enmity of the entire world? So he's already acting irrationally or illogically. Now we're going to deter him, and he's going to act in a rational manner. I think it's equally likely that he either does it again or he doesn't do it. I don't think you can say for certain which is better. I don't know that we can say that by attacking them, he's not going to launch another chemical attack. Will well, the region, will the region, I've got a few of them, then I'll, I'll, I'll stop. Will the region be more stable or less stable? We all say we want stability in the Middle East, and stability in the Middle East is a national interest for our country. Will it be more stable or less stable? I, I frankly think there are equal arguments on both sides of that. Will Israel be more likely to suffer an attack on them, a gas attack or otherwise, or less likely? I think there's a valid argument for saying they'll be more likely to suffer an attack if we do this. Will Russia be more likely or less likely to supply more arms or get more heavily involved in this? I think there's a valid argument that they may become more likely to be involved. Iran, more likely or less likely to be involved with this? If Iran gets involved, more likely or less likely that Israel launches a, a reprisal attack on Iran? There are all kinds of unknowns that I can't tell you absolutely the answer, and neither can you. But I think there's a reasonable argument that the world may be less stable because of this and that it may not deter, deter any chemical weapons attack. So what I would ask is, how are we to know? How are we to go home? I haven't had one person come up to me and say they're for this war. Not one person. We get calls by the thousands. Nobody's calling in favor of this war. I didn't meet while I was home all month. I went to 40 cities. I didn't have one person come up and say, do they all agree it's a horrendous thing? Yes, we all agree that chemical attacks are a horrendous thing, but people are not excited about getting involved. They also don't think it's going to work, and they're, they're skeptical of uh, what will occur with this. But I'd, I'd appreciate your response and try to uh, reassure the rest of us, one, that the vote is meaningful and valid, that you'd adhere to it, and also that you're convinced that all of these different items will be better, not worse, by this attack. Well, Senator, I'd be very happy to do that. Uh, will Israel be more likely to suffer an attack, or will they be safer? Will they be less safe? Uh, I can make it crystal clear to you that Israel will be less safe unless the United States takes this action. <laughs> Iran and Hezbollah so are two of the three biggest allies of Assad. And Iran and Hezbollah, Who created Hezbollah are the two single biggest enemies of Israel. Mm. So if, if, if Iran and Hezbollah are advantaged by the United States not curbing Assad's How use of chemical weapons, there is a much greater likelihood that at some point down the road, Hezbollah who has been one of the principal reasons for a change in the situation on the ground, will have access to these weapons of mass destruction. And Israel will for certain 
be less secure. But I would also uh, argue it would be more finished. likely that Hezbollah will attack because of this attack in response. Uh, and Israel feels quite confident of its ability to deal with Hezbollah if they were to do so. You will then why do you give Israel a shit if they get attacked? Has on several what is occasions going on? in the last year seen fit to deal with threats to its security because of what's in Syria, and not once has Assad responded to that to date. I think there are a bunch of things we should talk about in a in a classified session, but let me just make it uh, very clear to you that uh, uh, you know you ask these questions: Will this or that be more likely to happen or not likely to happen? If the United States of America doesn't do this, Senator, uh, here we go. Is it more or less likely that Assad does it again? You want to answer that question? I don't think it's known. I don't think is it's it more or less likely that he does you it have again? The attack. I think it's unknown whether it's more it's or less whether you have the attack. Senator, it's not That's unknown. If the no, United not. States of America doesn't hold them accountable on this with, the, with our allies and friends, it's a guarantee Assad You're will do it again. You're such a pussy, Kerry. A guarantee. Such and a I pussy. urge you to go to the classified briefing and learn that. Secondly, oh. let me just he point out didn't to get you invited that with respect to, briefing, to uh, uh, this question of Americans wanting to go to war, you know, you got three people here who have been to war. You got John McCain who's been to war. You got <laughs> one of us who doesn't understand what going to war means, and, hey, and we don't want to go to war. Are you kidding? We don't believe we are going to war in the classic sense of taking American troops and America to war. The president is asking for the authority to do a limited action Bullshit. that will degrade. The capacity of a tyrant who has been using chemical weapons to kill his own people. But I think by doing so, you announce... It's a limited. You, you it's announce, limited. By doing so, you announce in advance that your goal is not winning. And that's not and I think the last 50 years of secretaries of defense would say... Senator, when, goal when is not people to are asked, be do you want to go to war in Syria? Of course not. Everybody, 100% of Americans will say no. We say Both no. We don't want to go to war in Syria either. It's not what we're here to ask. The president is not asking you to go to war. He's not asking you to declare war. He's not asking you to send one American troop to war. He's simply saying we need to take an action that can degrade the capacity of a man who's been willing to kill his own people by breaking a nearly 100-year-old prohibition, and will we stand up and be counted to say we won't do that? That's... That's not, I don't, you know, I just don't consider that going to war in the classic sense of coming to Congress and asking for a declaration of oh, war. Oh, so as long as it's and, and not a classic troops sense, you can do whatever the hell people you want. I mean, and putting yeah, well, young Americans in harm's way. That's not what the president is asking for here. General, do you want to speak of that, all to that? I'm done with these jokers. What a freaking cluster that was. Robert. I'm back there. there. Yes, I am. I mean, seriously, this is how out of the loop I am in. I spend one day out in the car riding around and don't get to listen to any radio, don't get to check my news feeds, nothing. And this kind of bonker stuff happens. Like, What was this, like two days ago? Yeah, it must yeah. have been two days ago. I mean, I'm sorry that I'm behind the curve on this for everybody, but usually I'm kind of up to date on this stuff. But that was retarded. We're not asking for war. We're asking for missile strikes. Just understand that. Well, then, you know what? I'm going to go ahead and agree with Senator Kerry there and say, if that's the case, and missile strikes and bombings are not acts of war, then we need to remove ourselves from Iraq, 
and we need to remove ourselves from Afghanistan. We have to stop the war on terrorism because they never put any boots on the ground. They blew stuff up. So uh, I think Senator Kerry has a wonderful point. Okay, so as long as we don't put boots on the ground, it's not war. I just want to make sure we're okay with this. <laughs> yeah, long long as we don't put boots on the ground, it's not actual war. I guess the new thing. So Pearl Harbor wasn't an act of war. No, nope. nope. was an act of war. These were just, uh, you know, these were just limited airstrikes. No, 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 no. Targeted, specific targeted airstrikes. Remember, this is going to be specific. This is ridiculous. I mean, oh man, what do we do? What do we do, Robert? All right, so getting back to where we were before you got um before you got bounced. What's um? Do you think that we're going to go in there anyway? Yes. What What makes you believe this? Uh, it's just like I knew we would end up in Iraq. You know, just like I knew we would end up in Libya, just like I knew we would use drone strikes on Pakistan. It, it, all those weird, crazy conspiracy theories that I used to study, and some of them I actually end up writing off as I, you know, progress uh, through time. I'm mm-hmm. starting to like, oh crap. Okay, well maybe that one wasn't so far fetched because. <laughs> No, I'm right there with you, man, because I tried to flush a lot of that stuff, too. I went way down the rabbit trail, and, and, and I came out the other side pretty much, and I was like, oh, my God, this is horrible. If these guys actually do exist and this is what they believe in, we're in a bunch of trouble because you look around all the people, and they're like, if you told people what the real reality is, there is no way they'd believe it. They would think that you're walking around with six heads. But continue. So you said that you've come out – Basically, reviewing and revamping your your personal uh, belief system on this. Yeah, I, I'm at the point where I'm all like, "Wow, we really are past the event horizon." There, uh, I, I mean, I don't want to seem like I'm a defeatist here, but as far as the global plan goes, there's not much we can do to uh, stem it. You know, there's not much we can do to stop. Um, I think the only thing we can do if we want our country to stop bombing other countries and if we want, you know, our government to stop just invading people all willy nilly is we need to really revamp up our efforts here at home. We need Mm -hmm. to start uh, getting into alternative forms of currency so we can stop funding the machine that kills brown people overseas. Um, Mm -hmm. We we need to start to get ourselves off the grid as much as humanly possible so that we are not participating in the system at any point. There was a great speech back in the 1950s. I think, I can't remember the guy's name. It was Mike Michael something. And he said, there comes a point in time when the operation of machine becomes so odious that it makes you so sick at heart that you can't take part. You can't even passively take part. So you have to throw your bodies on the gears and upon the wheels and upon the levers and you tell those who run the machine that unless we are free, the machine will be prevented from working at all. It's really, it's really funny that you use that analogy, but that's um, that's one of the things that that Josh and I got into the other night, as as we call it, the the um, the after party, I guess, and that's when we basically log off of here, and then we'll go and talk about, and we'll go we'll go down the rabbit trail and talk about things that we've read and things that we've researched, and 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 just kind of bounce things off one another what's your perspective on this what's your perspective on that but we were actually talking about this in the in the form that that the machine is kind of the war machine is kind of taken it's it's a life of its own now 
And I think that that's what you were trying to get out. I don't want to put words in your mouth, so I'll let you comment here in a second. But the war machine has basically it's 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 engulfed the entire society now, um, backed by corporatism and and the corporate culture of America. It is now taking on a life of its own, and it has to feed itself in order to survive. So what we're doing is we're provocating wars. We're creating we're creating threats where there are no threats. We have. You know, we have the, the, the war on terror, now we have the domestic threat, and we have all these different threats, all of which are, are basically a bunch of fantasies. They're, I mean, they're, yes, they're real terror cells, and yes, they're real. There actually is some inherent risk to living, everybody. But for the machine itself, now I think you're right. We're in a forward momentum. Humans are all about momentum. And now we're in a forward momentum, and who knows if we can put the brakes on this thing. If we can, though, if we can put the brakes on the invasion of Syria, I think that's the turning point for liberty, and I think that that's a galvanizing place for um, not only the American public, but for people all around the world to say, look, we can solve this stuff. We don't have to blow each other up. Let's start trying to do this in a very... You know, genteel, concise way instead of going, well, you know, you're an Alawite Muslim and 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 I'm a Sunni, so you're dead. Like, it's it's really bizarre. Now, go. I don't know if that's where you're trying to get, but that was you know where my where my mind went. So, absolutely, I I, I do think that the uh, military-industrial complex has a life of its own. It does not care what the president says or what votes take care in Congress. The whole fact that there's this huge uprising in Syria. And I'm not saying that Assad's an innocent man here. but No, it's the, a no-win situation for us, for real. I mean, it's like you have a stabilizing force that's a dictator, or you go in and turn the country over to al-Qaeda. I mean, like, what the hell? Well, like, and, and, that, and how did al-Qaeda get there in Syria? It was through these clandestine operations through the NSA and the CIA, funding them and giving them weapons and training. And they were all... Yep. And, and then we're all like, oh, look, this area is destabilized. And they didn't get a congressional vote to do that. They didn't wait for a presidential approval to go ahead and start mm-hmm. these problems. And if we do, let's say for some reason, uh, whenever Congress votes on it, because I believe Senate's already gone ahead and gave the okay for a 90-day action. Um, but uh, let's say that we do. For some reason, we form the White House tomorrow and we say, you know what, you're not doing this. And they're all like, okay. We're not going to do it. The next day, there will be an explosion somewhere in America, and it will be You're God dang it, man. Everybody that I talk to that studies this stuff all say the same thing, and I agree with you guys, and it scares the shit out of me. And if you guys can't tell, I'm really freaked out. <laughs> this is absolutely bonkers my uh, contacts in the intelligence community because I've been reading these leaked uh, intercepts uh, that supposedly prove that it was the Assad regime that did the chemical attacks, which from my own readings, and I'm not, I'm not an expert in the field, that's why I had to call my contacts, but from my own readings, I saw no conclusive proof that they didn't do it. As a matter of fact, uh, from the documents that I read, it seemed like they were asking the UN for help in yeah. uh, these chemical attacks. And according to my uh, contact in the intelligence community, even if our government finds absolute concrete proof that it was the Assad regime, we will most likely never see the evidence because of the way that the evidence was obtained. It will be classified. 
What a shocker. Another document in the U.S. government classified. I mean, eventually, people, eventually we have to watch the watchers. Because now it, we are just slowly creeping down Nazi Germany lane where it's just like, just make the lies so freaking big that nobody would dare challenge it. I'm like, this is Joseph Goebbels level type stuff. It's like, look, we've got proof that Assad did it. Well, where's the proof? Well, it's in these nine pages that we got. Well, the Russians say they got a hundred pages saying that you didn't do it. Well, listen, chemical weapons were used. That's a violation. It doesn't matter who did it. We got to go invade. And it's it's getting, dude, it's so crazy. And I don't think that the American public gets it. There are pockets of it. Like I said before, this new company that I work for, they do a legislative research, so I get to talk to the polls of the people, and you know, and 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 a lot of people, I would say, about twenty percent of the population, which to me is a lot, are actually talking about Syria and think that it's a bad idea to go in there. Now, I, do I think that it's because Fox and CNN have now picked it up over the last couple of weeks? Absolutely, but at least. We're having the dialogue, and at least mainstream media is having the dialogue that this could be a false flag. You know, Ron Paul was on there saying this could be a false flag, you know, event. And I do have a clip from him on MSNBC. Have you seen that yet? Uh, his interview with the lady who called him the father of the fringe. Oh, really? No, see, I haven't even heard the interview yet. I got it sitting right here in my hot little hands, and I'm waiting to play it. So, yeah, I'll have to uh, I'll have to bore you with that here in a little bit because. Um, I'm I'm intrigued to see what happened. I just basically, you know, took the took the audio and and I was going to find out with the with the rest of the audience here on air. So, but um, you can't bore me with Ron Paul. <laughs> oh, all right, well here we go. And how dare I? How dare I bring up? Oh, it was funny. Um, you know, side side note, I met a a, a um a fellow libertarian today, and he had a longer beard than I did, and I was very disappointed. So. Anyway, it's a, it's a, it's a, it's an on-running joke with the libertarians, but that was one of the jokes that Kokesh and I used to have was, we do have the best facial hair in all politics. That is true. So, it, anyway, here is the here's the Ron Paul clip on MSNBC, and Robert, I am going to mute you real quick. All right. No problem, sir. After writing dozens of books, serving in Congress for three decades, and running for president of the United States three times. Ron Paul has entered the realm of the World Wide Web. This summer, the former Texas congressman started the Ron Paul Channel, otherwise known as the next chapter of the Ron Paul Revolution. Last week, Paul sat down with WikiLeaks founder Julian Assange to discuss U.S. military action in Syria and exactly what Julian Assange thinks might be behind it. Haven't you touched on this subject of somebody looking for an incident uh, you know, with Syria that would justify, you know, all the countries to come in and the United States government to come in, a British government to come in and do something in Syria. Uh, was there something along that line that you had uh, discovered? Uh, that, that's right. They really felt that what they needed uh, was uh, for there to be some uh, humanitarian outrage uh, in Syria. And uh, that once they had that, uh, that would legitimize uh, going in uh, with a big airstrike. These countries never really gave a damn about Syrians before. Joining us now is former congressman from Texas and host of the Ron Paul channel, Dr. Ron Paul. Dr. Paul, thanks so much for joining us and congratulations on the new endeavor. 
Thank you very much. Nice to be with you. Nice to be with you as well. I want to first ask you about the interview with Julian Assange and his contention that somehow the U.S. actually wanted this war, wanted a reason to go into Syria. What do you think of that? Well, I have to believe him. I think he's uh, probably getting it from the documents that he studied very thoroughly. Uh, and I, I think, you know, one thing that's interesting, what his predictions were, you know, if something happened, then they could justify that to go in and expand the war in Syria. But, you know, it's, it's not like uh, 10 years ago where you could bring up something and you could have, have these comments made and everybody would join and the U.N. would join and NATO would join and the world would join in the war. Today, it's a different world. Even though they have the incident, they might have been hoping for something, but now they have this gas, uh, so-called uh, gas deaths of the people, and they're accusing Assad of all this, of all the killing, and, and the rebels haven't caused any trouble. But the world hasn't rallied that way. So I think it's a different world. But I think it's a very significant event of what he was talking about. I, I have to ask you, do you really think President Obama is looking for a reason to go to war in Syria? I mean, this is a president who has been very public with his skepticism about war. He took, the, he took an unprecedented action, which was to curb executive power and involve Congress in the, the decision-making around military intervention. What did you think of that move uh, last well, Saturday? Oh, I thought it was pretty interesting. He was yielding to pressure. He was yielding to the vote, you know, uh, in the British Parliament. But I think there's some uh, reason to say that he personally might, you know, not like this. But I think the pressure comes from the people around him, the people who are always around all the presidents, all the leaders of the Republicans, all the leaders of the Democrats. They all gather together. So he's getting that pressure, and it might be contradicting some of his self-instincts. But just look at how the leadership of both parties have lined up. They're, they're just thinking, this is, this is it. We have to stick together. But do you think but that, I, I mean, I'm sorry to interrupt you, Dr. Paul, but do you really think that everyone's lining up to go in? I mean, the wisdom right now is that it's anybody's guess what yeah, you're absolutely right. I'm talking about lining up the leadership. Did you see the leadership of the House and the leadership of the Senate, Republican, Democrat? It's the same way when we wanted to curtail NSA. The leadership, you know, finally uh, kept the power for the NSA, but the grassroots, the coalition is building. I think there's a historic event going on here, and if this vote is, is uh, one, that is, defeat the request to have uh, more military approach to uh, Syria. I think it'd be historic because it'll be a grand coalition of the libertarian Republicans and the Democratic progressives. Everybody's worried about the split in the Democrats and the split in the Republicans. I'm delighted with that split because it's pushing people together who are on opposite ends of the spectrum, one which I enjoy. Get, sure. get the progressives to come together with the libertarian Republicans and the constitutionalists and oppose these wars right, but, I and mean, protect civil Dr. Liberties. Paul, you have to admit that they wouldn't have a chance to make their voices heard had they not been given the opportunity by President Obama, which is to say if, if he had not gone to Congress with this, they, ne they wouldn't have had a chance to vote. And yeah, I, I guess yeah, I ask yeah. you, are you not, do you not applaud the president for making that decision? No, this is, this is pure political. I mean, he still says he doesn't need the authority. All our presidents say, we don't need authority. But if there's a public pressure to say, oh, let's give the Congress a say. And they pass it. They give the Congress a say. And it's like we're very important. And then they condone everything. We always condone, uh, essentially, everything the presidents want to do. But today is different. 
that today is different. The people are tired of this. The world's tired of it. The British are tired of it. When you think of British ally, when you think of how, how they were behind us on every bomb we ever dropped in the last 15 years or 20 years, all of a sudden they're breaking ranks. I think, I think this is, but to come to the Congress, it's not for constitutional reasons. I could have done that six months ago or, or whenever. But he's coming under pressure, and maybe for political reasons. All right, uh, we'll make the Congresses, why are you doing this without our permission? Let Congress give them the permission, and then they can all share the blame. Well, I mean, so there's Dr. a lot Paul, of politics going on. Uh, yeah, I, I, would, I, I guess we just be, we'll have to agree to differ on this point, because I do think the president, it seems that the president made that decision totally on his own last weekend and without the support of even his closest advisors. But we'll move on to another subject, and I, and I do want to talk about the Ron Paul channel a little bit. I know you just interviewed uh, your son, Rand Paul, and he also has taken a pretty strong stance on intervention. I wonder what is your uh, consultation with Rand Paul like in terms of foreign policy these days? Do you speak to him on the phone regularly? No, I don't. As a matter of fact, uh, he goes his way and I go my way because we're pretty independent-minded. But he obviously has views very similar to mine, and he has you know, spoken out pretty strongly against this war. So I haven't sensed that uh, he has much of a different position. Um, can I ask about uh, Julian Assange was obviously one of your other guests, and you guys spoke about the uh, surveillance state, something that you've been warning against for decades now. Um, in terms of surveillance, uh, how confident are you that we are seeing the end of what has been termed the American empire in terms of a broad overreach and monitoring of American citizens? Well, we haven't seen the end of it. Uh, tyrants and, uh, uh, you know, empires cling desperately and their best weapon is lying. Uh, you know, if, if they can lie and take away the privacy of the individuals and spy on the people, they're very, very powerful. But the people are waking up. I'm encouraged by it. I was very encouraged by the Justin Amash vote, uh, that coalition, again, of libertarians and uh, progressive Democrats coming together. So, but we have a long way to go. We are threatened, and I think our biggest threat is from the uh, tyrants in Washington who would not protect our liberties. They destroy our First Amendment, they, and they threaten people. Whistleblowers become, uh, uh, you know, criminals, and they're charged with treason. So, yes, we have a long way to go, but I still think that the whole purpose is truth and openness. We need more openness in government. We need more privacy with the people, and we need to just come home and not have this conspiracy of our government to run all these wars and all these all the wars have been based on lies we haven't proven any lies yet from this administration they claim they're not going to make the mistake that Bush made about the lies but believe me there's going to be found many many deceptions and the biggest deception is that but we need to be there for national you're saying that there are going to be many deceptions found but you just admitted before that that we haven't seen any lies from this administration don't you think that's sort of irresponsible well, I, I think you need to repeat that again because I, I missed a little bit of that. Say that again, please. Uh, you contended that we haven't seen lies from this administration, but then went on to say we are sure to see deceptions come from this administration. Until you have seen deceptions or have evidence of lies, is it not irresponsible to sort of stoke the flames of distrust for this government? Well, I'm going by history, and I, I didn't get to finish that sentence before when I was... 
uh, was I, I was answering that because the real deception, the grand deception, is that we're doing this for national security. That is so bizarre. And at the same time, we do that. We fight these wars. We bankrupt our countries. We make more enemies, and we ignore the fact that we use drones to kill kids. And then we're going in there because some gas passed, and a hundred thousand people were killed. And they say, "Oh, Assad killed them all." It just this. Today, I saw this horrendous picture of the rebels, you know, murdering in cold blood, you know, some of the, the Syrians that they had captured. So, yes, there's a lot of deception going on, and uh, the whole, and this gives them license. At the same time, our greatest threat is, are our liberties here at home, our First Amendment yeah. rights, our Fourth Amendment rights. That is where the real concern is, and we're supposed to be, you know, concentrating on invading another country, and quite frankly, if they were honest, with us. Some are. Some of the neocons are more honest uh, with us on this, and it's the march to uh, Tehran. It's know, a, it's, this is all to do with getting Iran uh, and taking that country over, and we've been doing that since 1953. Dr. Paul, and then, you, you, people ask you, why do they dislike us? Yeah, Dr. Paul, you talk a lot about liberty and uh, broad coalitions, and I think one of the, you know, one of the, the most hopeful signs for the GOP is the broad coalition that you were able to put together in the last presidential race, young people, old people, middle-aged people, uh, which is really an outlier within the, the current state of uh, the Republican Party. But with your emphasis on liberty, I have to ask you about some of the folks that are in your coalition. And this weekend, you're going to be giving an address at, uh, at the Fatima Center, uh, at the, a conference in Canada for the Fatima Center, which has been called a hardcore anti-Semite group. Is this something that you would reconsider doing? No. Even Go ahead. If, uh, I, I even talk to Republicans, and they disagree with everything I say. <laughs> you know, when I'm on a Republican stage and I say we should have a foreign policy of the golden rule, they boo me. I'm trying to convert people. But I'm, I'm, I'm going to a conservative Catholic group that is pro-peace and wants to hear my foreign policy and my take on economy. If I go only, I wouldn't be on this station if I had to have a litmus test. I mean, you well, have an but, opinion. Uh, disagree this, with this station, so I'm Dr. on your Paul, station. station. Why can't right. I go there? Uh, we we to, really we appreciate you, yes, and we appreciate you coming on this station. But at the same time, mm -hmm. this station is not advocating, as the Fatima Center has, to the duty incumbent upon Catholics of combat, combating valiantly for the integral okay, rights of Christ the King and opposing Jewish nationalism and preaching about Satan's plans against the Church among which include the granting of full citizenship to the Jews. Is your appearance at an, at an event like this not some kind okay. of endorsement of... Okay, what I would what? say is, yes, it's there so are weird. disagreements within the Catholic Church, and they're debating it's theological. I have nothing to do with that. I, I'm not even going to pretend I know anything about that. Sounds to me like you have me on here to bash Catholics. I, I, I was raised backer. Catholic, so that's the last thing I want to do. Yeah, well, you ought to be more courteous to them and give them a break. I mean, you know, why can't we have discussions with people that might have a difference? And I've put up with a lot of this in the last 40 years because not too many people agree. But why I'm excited is the country is coming toward the way of peace and this coalition of libertarians and progressives. We've had too much war, too much spending, too much Federal Reserve printing of money. And that's Amen. what's important for you to bring this stuff up about the infractions of some group that I have no idea what their theology is all about. I don't even have any idea why you do things like that. Well, that's because, Dr. Paul, because, because, uh, you know, there have been... Act, there have been 
A lot of folks that have been involved with your campaign, supporters, there have been newsletters that have been accredited to you that have strong oh anti-Semitic, uh, racist undertones, and I think the American public is curious about how you endorse or do not endorse or, or deny involvement with any of that, and that, that's why it's a relevant line of questioning. At the no, same time... So I've had that, you know, the first month after I was elected in 1976, I had a picture in a magazine. Here I was practicing physician for all those years, and I run for office. I had no expectation of winning. I went. I'm totally innocent. The first month they put my picture in a magazine with a swastika. So this is just horrible, and it just goes on. When people disagree with you on ideas, they have to destroy your character. That's what they do. Amen. The main reason I get attacked from every, anybody like you, it's because there's disagreement on my foreign policy. I want peace and I don't want to support the warmongers. So you have to go after somebody's character. I don't think, I think that that's that wrong. constitutes a character attack, Dr. Paul, but we really do appreciate you coming on the show oh, and listen, talking about the ideas that are, that are dear you, to you. And You little mother, get that good God almighty. Robert, why didn't you warn me, dude? Why was I not given a forewarning about who is that little? Oh my God! Hey, I got an idea, honey. Why don't you just go ahead and go to Washington and pick up your paycheck? I mean, can you be any more state-run than MSNBC? I would love to interview her and then call her out lies that MSNBC has done and say, well, no, you're a part of that group, so therefore uh, it's a relevant question because this shows about the type of people that you work with. What a what a freaking weird... I mean, that's what's so crazy is that Ron Paul is so squeaky clean, the guy would not even let them paint his door in Washington because he said it could be misconstrued as a gift or a favor. And then you've got this girl that... And then, of course, they bring out... They bring out the um, the racist newsletter written back in the 70s that wasn't even written by him. It was just pinned under his little um, under his little newsletter. I, I who now do we know who's taking credit for that? Is that Lou Rockwell or who who was it that wrote the um, that wrote the actual letter? Do we know? Or is I, that I, still... I know it was such a, a such a moot point to me. I never really looked into it. These people are just absolutely bonkers. I mean. How in the hell are you going to get some guy on to talk about foreign policy, and then you bring up, well, you're going to go speak to a, a group of a group of Christians this weekend that that believe that the Jews are the devil. What, what do you say about being affiliated with these groups? It's like, well, I'm going to go talk about economics and foreign policy. Um, well, well, wouldn't you think that that's a valid question? Um, no, they paid me to come talk to them. I don't, I don't get it. But I think yeah. you were right, Robert. You, you need to interview her. Get her on the journalistic revolution and be like, look, we're huge fans of yours. Can you just come on for five minutes? <laughs> now, SMAC reported back in 1989 that... <laughs> yeah, what a joke. And that's the, that's the girl that was um, the same girl that was like, yes, Alex Jones and his um, very much, I think, racist... Um, point of view. It's like, what? Like, where did that come from? So yeah. anyway, we're, we're kind of we're kind of pattering around. Let's let's stop dealing with MSNBC. Let's get back to the the task at hand here. So you think that there's no way that the war machine is going to stop? What is the conclusion after? If we do, do we have boots on the ground? Give me your full breakdown, real quick. All right, <clears throat> this is my my um, hypothesis, if you will. 
my hypothesis is that we, the Congress is going to give the okay to go ahead and start doing the missile strikes. We're going to start doing the missile strikes, and I believe Russia will be the first to attack us back. Um, after uh, Russia t- attacks us back, then there will be justification for you know defending, because you know Russia and China already have destroyers in the Gulf over there. Um, yeah, every, everything, dude, everything's fine. Football's on. Yeah. Everything's fine. Go ahead. <laughs> so uh, I, I, it, I think that the Syria is just going to be the pretext to start a war with um, Russia and China, and then that will be the pretext for us putting the boots on the ground in both Syria and Iran, so that we can say that they're strategic in getting to the areas that we're really in war with, which will be the east and the north. At what point does it end, man? Where Where is the end game? Does it all end in fiery ashes and we're all burnt to a crispix? Is that where it all ends? Well, without some sort of intervention on on ooh, sorry on the uh, level of like a solar flare knocking out all our technology or the or um, you know a, a, a real revolution here in the United States or uh, just some sort of catastrophic thing that puts the end to it. I mean, I know not a lot of uh, libertarians and voluntarists are Christians, but there's this one quote in the Bible that I tend to look at the world today, and it says that if God was to allow us to continue, then we would destroy ourselves, and that is the reason he cuts the day short. Hmm. Well, that's an interesting perspective. I always, I mean... This is just so bizarre to me how all of this stuff has kind of does it does it I don't know I mean I wasn't alive in World War II but like all the history that I've studied and and read in World War One it's always the it's always the alienating the posturing from both sides of the Axis and the Allies or whatever and then you know basically everybody splits up into teams everybody takes a side and then it's like okay. What's the event? And and I don't know I, I don't know what the event's gonna be. <clears throat> now what what do you think the ramifications are? Here's another good question for you. What do you think the ramifications are for Barack Obama if he doesn't get congressional approval, which you think that he's gonna get the rubber stamp, but all signs are pointing to no right now. If he doesn't get the congressional approval, does he back off and pull back? And then we have another quote unquote chemical attack and then he can grandstand and say see I told you so we should have gone in earlier or do you think that he goes in anyway well this is what I find interesting the what what the senate approved is that they would give him 60 to 90 days to do some sort of policing action but technically according now what is to policing what is the definition of, I'm going to pull a, a Josh Wiley on here what is your working definition of police action government uh, for the government, I, I guess you would have to take Vietnam as the standard, since that's what they say that Vietnam was. Uh, oh God! No, that's so, true. No, that, that's we have to clarify this stuff, and people need to start thinking in these terms because they will use nebulous terms in order to get you distracted and make you think that everything's fine. So continue, man. Um. Uh. So um. I think that it's interesting that they're offering him this. Because as the law stands, Obama has the authority, or any president for that matter, since Nixon, or I, I can't remember which um, which administration got the okay, but they're all, he's already allowed to do a 90 days. for 90 days. 
Mm-hmm. So if they, even if he votes no, he'll go, oh, well, I'll just do the 90 days then. And then the Senate will pull it off like, well, that's what we were going to grant him anyway, so I don't see why you guys are so mad. Yeah, but, I mean, with this much constituent pressure, this is really the turning point to find out if we really are a a global empire that is that has been hijacked by the – by the financial, by the central banking core, and and the um, basically the war profiteers, the war quote unquote mongers, you know the true sense of the word. Um, are we really hijacked by the central banks and the world mongers, or is enough constituent pressure going to get even the administration to back off? And that's what I want to know, and that's why I'm telling everybody to do everything that they can: call, flood, email, whatever you have to do. If it's on your lunch break, call call your senator's office. Like I said, use your smartphone or whatever. Find their office, call and leave them a message, and just tell them hell no. Don't just tell them no, but hell no. Be like, look, they haven't attacked anybody. It's a civil war. They're killing Christians, and and we're on their side. How in the heck is that – in in America where people say, well, we're a Christian nation, but I support the president. That's retarded. So, I mean, I don't know what to do, man. I I just think that if we put enough constituent pressure on these people, knowing that they've got midterm elections coming up, I just don't see how they're going to authorize this. But you seem to believe that that they're going to either give him some kind of vestigial rubber stamp or that they're just going to let him go the 90 days and here's the even bigger question for you. After the 90-day you know, bombardment, which will probably be called peace action or liberation or whatever stupid 1984 term they want to use this time, what happens then? Do we defund it? Because we have the right to do that after 90 days. Does Congress defund it and just basically say this thing's over? Or do they continue on with the provocation, which might be out of control by then? Well, I mean, after 90 days, if they're not able to complete whatever it is they want to complete or – that want to continue it further, then they'll you know, stage terror attacks, false flags, something like that, in order to keep the keep the war train moving. Yeah, Miley Cyrus, I, or you know, someone in another country will get married, and that'll be all over the news until it's over. <laughs> it's ridiculous, man. So, all right, let me get your take on this really quick, and then we'll um we'll get back into Syria. I got to make some light news out of this. All right, so what's your take on the Miley Cyrus thing, really quick? And and I know that you you've is is that the is that the ultimate distraction or was that just somebody for a desperate cry for some attention? Uh, all I gotta say is it's nothing new. Every freaking VMA, a team pops out, somebody kisses somebody, or somebody gets drunk and yells at somebody. So yeah. I mean, like, it, it, it's nothing new. Why are we surprised? It's MTV. It's what they do. You know, it's like yeah. So uh, it was expected. It just. It was a little weird. My whole thing is is that, you know, Miley, next time you go to do something controversial like this, actually dress in sexy clothes so I can actually enjoy it. <laughs> That's a valid point there. Okay, so um let's let's transition really quick and, and I'll um I think we've pretty much hammered the Syria topic. Um, well enough. So, you know, final equation, you believe that e- congressional approval or not, we're going to go in, and it's probably going to suck um, Russia and China in with us, so God save us if that's if that's what happens, correct? Yeah, I mean, I mean, for every research and every conspiracy theory I've ever looked into, the end game has always been another world war. So, I mean, this looks like the, the setup for it. Fucking bizarre, man. And then you got people that have no clue what's going on. All right. So anyway, shifting gears now. 
Guess what came out today? The NSA is back, everybody, and guess what? Now they've figured out how to descramble your encryption codes. Shocker. Oh, and by the way, they put in back doors to all the technology, which I told you that two years ago when I started my podcast because I read the Telecommunications Act, and also I worked in telecom, and I had people show me how the devices actually work and how the network worked. I won't give names because those guys would probably get into a serious amount of trouble. Anyway... Here is the um, article out of The Guardian, and I don't did this launch today? It looks like it did. All right, so it says UK and US spy agencies def- defeat privacy and security on the internet. And it says the NSA and the GH or the GCHQ unlock encryption used to protect emails, banks, and medical records. Boy, doesn't that make you feel safe? And it goes on to say the US and Britain and British intelligence Agencies have successfully cracked much of the online encryption um, relied upon hundreds of millions of people to protect privacy and their personal data. Online transactions and emails, according to top-secret documents revealed by former contractor Edward Snowden. This is just so crazy. I mean, this this is why we're probably going to war right here. The files show that the National Security Agency and the UK counterparts, GCHQ, have broadly compromised the guarantees that Internet companies have given consumers to reassure them that their communications and online banking medical records would be indecipherable to criminals or governments. Yep, we used to get that selling point when we were um, selling cloud services. One of the reasons that I got out is because I actually found out how it worked. Sorry, people that love the cloud, but guess what? Uh, NSA knows everything about you. Good luck. The agencies, yeah, go ahead, buddy. Yeah, real quick, I I just want to cut in. That's something that I I hear a lot from fellow libertarians, especially the uh, conspiratorial branch of the libertarians. And uh, they're always all like, well, why do you put this on Facebook? Why do you do this radio show? You know they're listening. And I'm all like, give a shit. They've been listening for 20 years. I mean, dude, what, what planet are you on? My whole thing is I am not ashamed of my activism. I don't want it hidden. I want them know I'm upset, and I want other people to know I'm upset, and if they do come for me, I want people to know that I've disappeared. Yeah, no kidding. I mean, like, hey, this is this is the uh, the canary in the coal mine. If a bunch of activists start disappearing, it's not going to stop with us. Just study history. All right, so continue. The agencies and documents revealed they have adapted a battery of methods in order to systematically and ongoing assault on what they have what they see as one of the biggest threats to their ability to access huge swatches of internet traffic the use of ubiquitous encryption across the internet well i'm glad they figured it out so they could spy on us even better the methods include covert measures to ensure the NSA control over settings of international encryption standards to use supercomputers to break the encryption with brute force, and mostly uh, the the most closely guarded secret of all, collaboration with technology companies and internet service service providers themselves. And I'm almost done with this, and then I get to give my little story, which is so fun. All right, so it goes. Then through covert partnerships, the agencies have inserted secret vulnerabilities known as backdoors or traps. This is what this is what they um a top level um. Engineer told me at my telecom company, I won't say which one, into commercial encryption software. 
The files, both on the NSA and the GCHQ, were obtained by The Guardian, and the details are being published today in a partnership with the New York Times and ProPublica. I don't know what that is. Probably like a, it sounds like a Spanish magazine. So, a 10-year NSA program... um, against encryption technologies made a breakthrough in 2010 which made vast amounts of data collected throughout the internet cables tap newly exploitable oh good for them the NSA spends 250 million dollars a year on a program which among uh, which among other goals works with technology companies to covertly influence in quotes their product designs the secrecy and capabilities of the encryption closely guarded and analysis warned do not ask about or speculate on the sources of these methods. The NSA described the long decryption programs as a priceless admission or as the price of admission for the US to maintain unrestricted access and use of cyberspace. And just looking at the yeah, that's exactly what the guy drew out for me on the um on the whiteboard. This is crazy. Wow, I knew this stuff like five years ago. This is so bonkers. All right, so and I'm not I'm not bragging about it. It's just it was really weird when you were actually giving interviews to people and they were asking you about, is my data safe in the cloud? And you're like, oh yeah, it's it, yeah, it's fine. And then whoops, maybe it's not so fine. Of course, that's why I got out of telecom because I found out how this all worked and I was very upset. Anyway, so Robert, here is my quick story about this. Now, for one of the companies that I work for, and I've told this story before, but I think it's very fascinating and very fun. Because everybody looked at me when I asked this question like I had seven heads, but now I get the last laugh, everyone. Happy fun time. So I go on this sales trip because I was one of the top 2% of all the sales reps in this giant telecom company. And we were on a trip, and the CFO, CIO, and CEO were all up on stage fielding questions about the the direction of the corporation. And so what happened was they opened the floor up to questions. And there were a couple of planted questions. You know, you have the people asking, well, what do you think the future of this is? And what do you think the future of our organization is? And how do you think that we're going to, you know, we're going to brand this particular product? And so there's probably, I would say, in the in the room about 500 people. So I asked for the microphone. And I asked this question to the CFO, CIO, and CTO of a um, a large telecom company. I said, due to the... Recent highlights of CISPA and SOPA and Internet and governmental control. If our customers ask us if their data is secure, what are we supposed to tell them? And I sat down. And you saw blank stares go across all of their faces because that was not one of the planted questions. And then they kind of stammered and stumbled around. And the CTO didn't even answer. And the CIO didn't answer. The CEO answered and said, well, we do what's best for our customers, and we can ensure them that their data is safe. You lying sack of you-know-what. You knew this was going on because at the highest levels, you guys have to sign off on this stuff when you build the infrastructure. So anyway, that was my two minutes of fame, I guess, if you will. And everybody asked me at dinner, like, why would you ask such a stupid question? I'm like, no, that's a relevant question. You watch. You wait, guys. It'll all come out. One day it'll all come out, and you'll be like, holy cow, how did he know all that stuff? So... Anyway, enough of me tooting my own horn. That was just um, that was just a fun bashing of corporate America, and it felt really good. It was kind of weird at the, at the time that it went down because everybody looked at me like I had six heads, like I said. So, <laughs> so anyway, anyway, Robert, what's um, 
Here, here is another news article for you. What, what do you want to cover, man? Do you got anything you want to talk about here? I had you on. I've been bombarding you with questions on Syria. What's um, obviously besides Syria, what's front and center in um, on your radar screen over there? Um, it, it, it's usually always the same for me. The the new the newest thing that I've I've been really upset about. I don't know if you know this, but one of my pet peeves is police brutality, police state stuff. Oh yeah. Um, Very it, it aware. Yeah, it takes precedence with me almost over any other movement, if you will. Mm-hmm. But, um, there was one recently during the Smokedown Prohibition in Pittsburgh. A lady was playing a banjo under a tree. The park police came and asked How her to leave. How dare she? Yeah, yeah, you know, because banjos, they're, they're, they're definitely made out of evil. Oh, that's, a, that's a liberty tool. That is definitely a terrorist activity. Well, um, the... the um, lady asked, and she's like, can you tell me why I have to move? And the guy's like, no, I don't have to. And she's all like, well, I wore so that you could have this job, because she was a veteran, right? And uh, Which is a fallacy, but I'm not going to go there. But, uh, <laughs> but you know, and she's all like, um, so tell me, you know, I pay your tax dollars, I do this. She's going off on this guy, but she's being very, very polite. And then she turns around to ask the crowd, don't you want to know why I'm being asked to leave? And they at, while her back is turned to them, they slam her into a bench, twist her arms around her back, then tell her to stop kicking. She's not kicking. Then they tell her to stop resisting. She's not resisting. And then they literally, I mean, they bend her arm in such an unnatural way where she starts begging the people around her filming for help. And it, that's what sickens me. Like, I'm, I get it. We don't want to go with, to a war in Syria, but there's not too much we can do about that besides write our congressmen and, you know, go to a protest and wave some signs. But at that moment, I mean, I don't know because I haven't been put in that situation yet, but if I saw an officer blatantly breaking the law and abusing a person, would I be able to just stand there? Mm, that's a really good question. That's a, that's a moral and ethical question. And and that's um that's a question that the population needs to ask themselves is like what do you do if you see something like that happen? Do you stand because the guy's got a shiny badge and a uniform? Do you stand there and do absolutely nothing because he's the perceived authority in the society? Or do you call do you call a spade a spade and be like, Look, just because you got a, just because you're a police officer doesn't mean you get to treat us like we're all filth. And I don't know what um and I don't like to bash police officers, man, because I, like I said, the only run-in I've had with them, and this is, and once again, my activism days are very far shorter than yours. But the only run-in I've had with them, they were pretty pleasant with me, except for the last guy that got out of the last car that came by. I was, um, I was to be frank with you, and you know what I'm talking about, Robert. If you've ever encountered one of the, um, the drill sergeant-looking um, police officers that you know that they're there to. Enforce, you know, to show you how much authority they have, and um, so he got out of the car last, and I was like, oh, I better wrap this thing up. I better wrap up my, you know, I'm like, all right, I'm getting out of here, guys. You know, it's been a long day. See you later. So, um, yeah, I, I've had nothing but, you know, at, at least some sem- semi-pleasant experiences with police officers in my local area, but who knows what I'd do in a situation like that? I mean, how many people were at Smoke Down? There had to be what a couple hundred. Yeah, I mean, it's becoming a fairly large event, especially since, you know, Adam when Adam Kokesh got arrested at one of them. It, it's yeah. kind of a lot of libertarians. For, for not having any pot on him or smoking any pot. Just, hey, you got a microphone. You're coming with us. 
Yeah, not yeah, exactly. But it, and, and I want to clarify too. I don't hate security officers, and I use that term. Uh, mm. People actually join the force because they want to protect their communities sure. from people who would violate the non-aggression principle. Um, so I have no problem with the job. My problem is ever since the 1980s. The 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 um, training that cops are supposed to treat every situation like it's a criminal one, treat every single person as if they're already guilty, mm-hmm. and training to um, be desensitized to the plight of their fellow human beings. That's mm-hmm. where I have a big problem. Now, unfortunately, that's about 80% of the police force as it stands. But mm-hmm. um, that 20%, I think we need to encourage them to join things keepers and encourage them to start disobeying illegal orders and immoral laws. No, I would agree with you on that. I think it that's going to be part of you know stuff that you and I talk about a lot, and 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 a lot of people in the liberty movement talk about, and that's the the conscious awakening that needs to happen. That what is going on now in America does not resemble in the least a free society. You know, banks running your government, um, lobbyists running your government. You know, unprovoked wars, um, let's see, like you said, police brutality, this is not the signs of a free country. This is a sign of, once again, an empire on its on its last leg. And I get worried because, because I know what the next physical steps are. If you study history, you know what the next physical steps are, especially for a, a, a dying empire, especially a broke one, too, on top of that. Now... Would you speak to what could happen with us after all the war is said and done? Now, I've, I've talked to some people that have said that, that we might just get bought out by China and China might just do a soft takeover of America if we get imploded or something like that. I don't, I don't know what the future of America holds. For you, if you've got the crystal – dang it, Ann. This, <laughs> this person in our chat room says all loads, roads lead to Rome. That's pretty much true. So what do you see the projection of the of the United States in the next five years? Where do you see us going if we go on the same trajectory that we're headed now? And if we can somehow avoid war with Syria, start from there. All right. Well, if we stay on the same course, I predict the um, that the New World Order, the, the global elite, if you will, will have full control over the majority of the land mass on the world – in 25 years, okay. Um, top, okay? Um, now, let's say we're able to avoid this conflict in Syria somehow. Then I think 30. <laughs> so you because- just think it extends the plan about five years and then every... Now, see, this is what, this is what really concerns me is that, is that I think that these people have gotten very, very smart in their, you know, in their trial and error with the, the brute force... The direct, you know, the direct action to try to destabilize entire continents. Now they're trying to do it with proxy wars, and what really scares me is that they're coming in with legislation, pens, you know, UN Agenda 21, things like that, circumventing because they know that number one, the American public will not read any legislation. Number one, and number two, heaven forbid they're going to read some global legislation about how they're going to put you in a, you know, a, an 800 by 800 square foot room. And you're going to be given your food rations for the week and all that other crap. 
Oh, and by the way, if you're a country that's poor, don't worry. The IMF and World Bank will either restructure your loan or they'll go ahead and just extend you another one because they're good people over there. So, yeah, I mean, that's what terrifies me is you see the you see the paper trail and it leads back to it leads back to China, it leads back to other, you know, global controllers and comptrollers. The people that have been, you know, devising this divide and conquer scheme um for what working on better part of a decade now. So I don't know. I don't know how fast humanity can wake up. It's amazing that we've gotten the American public to at least wake up and say no to war. Usually they're grabbing like, you know, beer, wine and cigarettes right now and, and getting ready to kick the recliner back and watch some bombs get dropped on some people because remember, war always happens over there, Robert. Remember that. Yeah, well that's the that, that's the whole thing. And we actually talked about this on the show last night. It it's so rem uh uh reminiscent of reminiscent? Thank you. Uh, I, no problem. But <laughs> the uh, the 1984, you know, a lot of people have the takeaway, you know, of, you know, the police state, the surveillance, the mind control. But then they forget this really important part of 1984. And it's that the three global governments of that world, of that, uh, in that book, mm-hmm. are always in a track of land that, um, where they, they change alliances where there's never a winner, but sometimes winning, sometimes the enemy's winning. And that's what the beast is becoming. It's coming the area where we're just always going to have war. And yep. and that and, and it's partly all our, our fault. It's partly cultural, you know, and it's partly just human nature. Um but they, they're um what they're exploiting this and that's going to be the you know, when you have the Chinese Union, the European Union, American Union that's what we're going to be hitting over at all times. Yeah, see, and and I would be all for world government if it was minimal and you got to elect your officials, but they don't want that. These people don't want us to have any sense of freedom. They want us to be the wage slaves. They want us to they want us to work our days, take steal. All, and this is what's so crazy about these people. They're so vindictive that they want us to work for them, slave over all their technology and their resources. And then work us to the bone for 70 years and then steal all our money from us through Obamacare and, and, and other covert means of not providing the right proper health care or through their eugenics operation of the, the MD medicine. And everybody looks at me weird when they ask me, they're like, what do you have against, what do you have against Western medicine? I'm like, that's not Western medicine, people. That is a eugenicist-based medical complex. It has nothing to do with treating, curing your disease. It has everything to do with treating your illness. When you look at homeopaths, and now I can't remember what year it was where they banned the other. There was like six forms of medicine. I don't know. You guys can help me out here if you want. Anybody in the chat room? I think there were six forms of medicine at one time, and then it was just a, a basically a decision, a deciding move that we we're going to go with the the Rockefeller funded eugenicist program, and then. That's where we're at now. And then I have to argue with a pharmacist for 15 minutes about why I don't want a flu shot because I don't trust Bear and Merck to put a bunch of poison in my body. I mean, come on. So, oh, you seen it the day when my daughter was born. I uh, I oh, literally I'm dreading that when... day, man. I, my my daughter's born is um is is due in December and I'm huh. Oh, man. Well, anyway, I didn't mean to cut you off. 
Give give me some oh, battle plans, man. Give me some battle plans. All I can tell you is do not be afraid to bang on that glass. Because um, <laughs> that's what I did. They grabbed my daughter. They immediately took her out of the room. I looked it to my wife and I said, I'll be back. I'm, I have to follow her. Right? And so I followed him into the room where they give her all the vaccines and take the blood samples. Anytime a needle popped out of a drawer, I'm banging on that window saying, what's that? You need to show me what that is. And when they would say, well, that's this vaccine, I was like, don't give that to her. You can't give that to her. And it's my religion. That, I mean, it's really not, but I mean, I don't, they don't need to know that. No, but they, I, it's, it's going to be against my religion. <laughs> you know, and it's funny that people try to play the sympathy game. They're like, oh, no, when you have a kid, you'll get them vaccinated. You'll just do it. And it's like, no, no, I won't just get them vaccinated. It's like I know a person, physically know somebody that has got a vaccine-damaged kid. No way. And yeah. it's, and, and, and that's what I said to – because I, I got really upset with the, um, with the pharmacist because she kind of rolled her eyes because she asked me last year. She's like – you want a flu shot? I, she's like, have you gotten your flu shot yet? I said, no, ma'am. I don't like thimerosal in my body. No, no mercury, please. And she's like, well, we have the thimerosal-free ones. I'm like, why would you even give somebody one with thimerosal in it? She's like, well, it's a it's a preservative. I'm like, no, it's not. It's mercury. It's not a preservative. No. And so we got into a little scuffle over that. So last time I went back, she just said, she asked me why I didn't want a flu shot. She's like, why do you never want to take a flu shot? And I'm like, oh, I'm like, you really want the answer? She's like, yep. I'm like, oh, here we go. So I went on like a five-minute diatribe while she walked back and forth filling prescriptions. And I think that I ended with, would you trust a bunch of eugenicists with your with your child? I don't think so. But people well, don't want it. They don't want to – I guess they, they want to believe in the system. I, I guess it's just the um, – I guess it's the blind faith in the system that keeps them moving. I don't. I don't know what it is. Well, it's my thing with vaccines. I don't mind that I did it in true ones. You know, like no, 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 that's what I told her. I said, you know, I don't mind a clean vaccination that you can show me that doesn't have any side effects. But when you're telling me to get a flu shot that doesn't prevent the flu and actually gets me sick, and it says on the insert can actually kill me, no thanks. Yeah, exactly. That's my whole point. Like, they wanted to give my daughter the chickenpox vaccine. I was all like, look, if I want my daughter vaccinated for chickenpox, I'll take her down the street when another kid has chickenpox. <laughs> you know, because that's how it was done when I was uh, a kid. You know, but my mom was all like, hey, you're going to go play at Jimmy's house. I went over and played at Jimmy's house. I came home, I had chickenpox. Yeah. And I don't, you know, and it's, like I said, it's nothing against Western medicine because there are some things of Western medicine is very beneficial at. And I, it's not that I have this big stigma that my doctor's trying to poison me because most of them don't really know. And it's, it's like you and I just basically stated, as long as it's something that has been tried and true, proven, then I would be okay with it. Or give me some of the clean vaccines that they give the guys over in Germany that are of the of the uh, you know the the hierarchy or whatever. But don't give me. I mean, next thing you know, they're going to say, well, you know, Robert, we're going to recommend that your daughter have this anthrax shot before she comes into school with us. So, you know, and I've I've met some guys that served in military that have actually taken the anthrax shot, and I was and you know they they weren't too happy about it. But then again, they didn't really have a choice. And so, like you said, as long as I got a choice, I'm gonna I'm gonna make the best choices I can for my child, and I guess that's all we can really do, right? Yeah, and, and I mean, really, I mean, 
it's 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 frustrating because you will have to fight these people over some of these vaccinations. Um, I've had to get in fights with uh, public schools. Unfortunately, my kids are in public school because Florida does it allows homeschooling, but it doesn't give you any sort of degree. Um, and uh, you know, it, it, you have to fight with these people because they will sit there and they will regurgitate the state sanctioned no. answers over. Mm-hmm. Over to no, they got like, a nope. script, and I told her that. And I said, don't read off your script. I'm like, have you read the insert? She's like, no. I'm like, you haven't read the insert for the flu shot. She's like, no, but I'm like, this is ridiculous. Like, why are we even talking about this? I'm like, I'm like on the CDC's own website, it can tell me it, it can kill me. It says it on the – she's like, well, the CDC says – I'm like, I don't give a shit about your talking points. Excuse my language. I'm like, I don't care about your talking points. I'm like, I can read on the internet. She's like – well, you know, you're going to have to figure out what you're going to do with your daughter. I'm like, I know, and believe me, it's um it's a, it's a toss-up, man. I mean, who knows what we're going to figure out, but I mean, I guess we got to figure out something. And and you're right, man. They just re- they repeat what they've been told and and they trust the system because the system's never heard them before. So, hey, it sounds like we're we're running up against it. We're almost out of time here. Why don't you plug your stuff real quick and then we'll uh, we'll end the show. So, thanks everybody for listening. Um Thank you, Robert, for coming on board. Robert, let it rip, man. Yeah, you can check us out at journalisticrevolution.com. Don't mind the construction. We actually have some redesigning the website for us right now. You can also check us out on Journalistic Revolution at YouTube, also on Twitter and Facebook. We're constantly looking for more people to get involved in the journalistic revolution. We're trying our best to be an open source uh, media, news media. So if you have an article you want to write, if there's a subject you want us to cover, or if you even made a video, let us know. We'll promote it. That's great, man. And as you guys know, you can find me at wearenotcattle.net and also wearenotcattle.tv on the YouTube and as I said, this weekend I will actually be doing some revamping to my site, so you guys look forward to some brand new content. But that's it, everybody. Get a friend, get informed, and get involved. Love liberty and freedom, and say no to war with Syria. Peace out, everyone. You deserve your Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, We've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.